this morning. It's a wonderful day to be in the Lord's house. I just want to start sharing first just a little personal story, and then I'll tie into uh, what the message is here in just a minute. Two years ago, I went to the doctor and found out that I don't have to have a second surgery on my arm. I broke it six months earlier and had surgery on it, and it didn't heal right. So I said, oh, Lord, here we go again. I've got to go through the surgery a second time. So I scheduled it during the Christmas break and had the surgery. And as usual, got back to the room, and I'm coming out of anesthesiology. And I can remember looking at my wife, Melody. And if those of you know Melody, she can give you some looks sometimes. And I've seen many looks over the years I've been married. But the look I saw on her face was a look I hadn't seen before. Once I got well enough to, my conscious enough to know what was going on, she told me that your heart quit beating twice during surgery. Well, that got my attention. Well, the next few weeks, I had to wear a heart monitor and all, and went back to the heart doctor, and he said, uh, you got to have a pacemaker. I had a heart problem, and I couldn't fix that heart problem on my own. Now, there's certain things I could do. You know, I could eat right and exercise and cut down on stress, but I couldn't fix the problem myself. What I want to share with you this morning before I get to Sunday school is I sit over here on Sunday mornings, and you can look at me and not anything's wrong with me. Just like before I had the, the heart episode, nobody knew anything was wrong with me. The doctor looked at me. My wife could look at me. I you know, didn't feel any problem, but I had a heart problem. I could sit here on Sunday morning and have a spiritual heart problem. In the Bible, the heart means more than just a physical organ. It's referring to your deep emotion, your moral character, your total being sometimes. And just like I can sit here on Sunday mornings or whenever I come to church and have a heart problem, so can you. And I've got my heart fixed. And, you know, I was saved when I was a young boy, but I still had to go back and reevaluate. Just like I had to go back to the heart doctor and let him check me up. I had to go back and, and check my heart out sometimes. And had to go through a process and, and renew my love. Now, of course, Doug and me as Coach Jones. Of course, I hadn't coached in seven years, but I reckon I'll always be a coach. That would be my title. In 30 years of coaching, I've sat through many motivational speeches before a football game and given several myself. And one observation I can tell you about these motivational speeches, whether they be for a sporting event or just somebody trying to motivate you, period, they usually don't last very long. It's football field, but the first or second series, they forgot about what you said. Now it gets down to real tough as far as when it's going gets tough. If they love the game of football or they love what they're doing, they can continue on and play hard and play with all their heart. But if they don't have any heart to it, I don't care what I was, could say, it didn't matter. But kind of the same way this morning, I'm going to give you a challenge, a motivation, but I can't motivate you unless your heart's right. 
and God's going to be the one to motivate you. All I'm doing is just making an observation that I have to be re-motivated time to time. And just like since it's on the heart, I'm going to use three letters, CPR. C, you need to confess. The Holy Spirit will reveal to you, if you're sensitive, what deficiencies you have in your life, what you need to correct. And you need to confess them. And you need to pray. The P. Go to God and pray. You can't fix your heart by yourself, but God can. And then here comes your part. You've got to repent. Now, God's got to help you on that, but you've got to turn around and you've got to take action. He'll fix your heart, but you've got to change your ways. And just the Bible says about your heart, if you want to be, you know, let me just share a few scriptures with you. In Luke chapter 12, it says where your heart is, excuse me, where your treasures are, is, there will your heart be also. In Colossians, Paul says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As to the Lord, not to men. In Matthew, Jesus gave the Beatitudes, and one of them was, blessed the pure in heart, because they will... They will see God. And, of course, the greatest commandment given is love your Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, your total being. Well, I can't love God with all my heart unless my heart is right, and you can't either. I don't have to be that smart I, as, to figure that out. It's, you know, I've got my, I've got to have a my heart's got to be right if I'm going to serve God and be effective. It's like the story I told you that you're, the players will lose their enthusiasm if they don't, their heart's not right. Well, Jesus told a lot more relevant parable about the, the four seeds. It's found in Luke chapter 8. I'm not going to go through all the seeds, but the four seed was a seed fell on shallow soil, and it sprang up with enthusiasm. I didn't use the word enthusiasm, but it sprang up. And as soon as time got tough, it what? Withered away. It's kind of like we'll be if we go build something on our own. If we try to accomplish something on our own, then we won't last very long. But when Jesus was asked about the four seeds, here's how he explained the, the four seed, the one that fell on good soil. And this is Jesus' explanation, Luke 8, 15. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones that have heard the word in an honest and good heart, and hold it fast, and they bear fruit preservation. We've got to have a good heart, and we've got to hear the word. And that's kind of where I'm going to challenge you this morning. We're blessed to have a great staff. I mean, this praise band, you hear the word through their songs. Brother Eddie gets up here and preaches this word, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and every Wednesday. The word is out there. But there's more to it you've got to carry on. And one of the important fat parts of our church is Sunday school. And I want to encourage you, if you're not involved in Sunday school now, there's a place for you. And I know it's tough times right now as far as with the pandemic going on, but we're doing our best to make it safe and we have some great Sunday school classes going on right now. Our children's department, our youth department, we have uh, a senior adult class for ladies in a parlor. We have a, a, a men's class that meet in the choir room. They will continue on just like it is. 
but we're going to add a couple classes the first December. Uh, Van, who's been leading a Consumption Now type class, he's going to transition into a teaching what we call the Gospel Project, which is Sunday's Southern Baptist literature. It takes a three-year cycle, it goes through the Bible, and everything's pointed toward Jesus, the good news. He'll be teaching that class upstairs. If you go upstairs by the nursery, uh, the first room on the left, going down to the children's hall, uh, invite you to come. Chad... Evans will be teaching a class right above the choir room upstairs. Those two classes, two big rooms, and we have to kind of space-wise and teachers spread things out. So he has a class. He'll be teaching from Bible Studies for Life uh, in that classroom. I'll start to explore the Bible in the sanctuary, plenty of room in the sanctuary, and we'll be studying in Luke. One of those places is a place for you that you can plug in. That's you personally. But also, what I want to challenge this morning is go out and make contacts, connect with people. There's no great secret as far as us, and I'm going to use the word growing the Sunday school, is you've got to make personal contacts. You've got to connect with people, not just you know contact, but you know, make them feel wanted, make them feel part of this, that they want should be here. You have something special. You know, what makes this COVID so bad is how contagious it is, how easy it is to catch it. Don't you wish Christianity was that contagious? But some people avoid it like the plague. It's something good. We had a saying in football, you know, attitudes are as contagious as yours worth catching. Well, I don't want to catch COVID, but I sure would like to catch the attitude of some wonderful people in this church body. And I like it be contagious because I like to see revival break out at First Baptist Church, Loosedale. But, a little observation, I'm no Einstein, but if our heart's not right, God's not going to send revival until we're ready for it. We've got to have a heart right first. And if our heart's right, we're going to go out and we're excited about it. Now, I'm not going to start hollering like a coach right now, but we ought to be excited about coming to church and learning God's word and, and sharing with other people and other people being saved and people's lives being changed. And God used you to do that. He wants to use you. And that's what my encouragement this morning to you is, is check your heart. Is it right? If it is, then God said he's going to walk bare. You're going to bear a lot of fruit because he can use you. And i got to check mine if I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. So I look forward to revival here at First Baptist Church because God's ready to send it, and he's ready to send it through us, the church members. And that just kind of sets the stage for the main event because Van's going to come back and, and share some things that been laid on his heart and just listen what he has. But before he comes, let, let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for being a loving God. Not only did you create this world and created us as humankind, you sent a Savior. When you created us, you knew that we were going to fall, that we was going to sin and fall short of your glory. But you made provisions. And it was a severe cost to you through the life of your son, Jesus Christ, that perfect sacrifice for my sins. Thank you for that, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that we're willing to share that good news with other people. Share that salvation story. And be encouraged with other people as we go through 
trials and tribulations in life, Lord. You're there for us. You're there with us. And Lord, I lift up this staff of here at First Baptist Church. Lord, just be with them, continue to serve and, and encourage them. And Lord, I lift up to Van right now. Lord, as he comes here, Lord, he has a word that's been laid on his heart. And Lord, just open our hearts to receive that word. And I pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. I have matching shoes on this morning. I made sure, okay, I don't have the one uncomfortable one and the one comfortable one. I have just the two uncomfortable ones on this morning. I got up and laid them out and made sure they were right and went back and checked it two more times because that really bothered me last week to walk out of the house like that. Um, I don't know about you, but whenever I and I don't know if you've been to college, but when I was in college, whenever I seen the professor walk up to the podium carrying a red ink pen and paper, I began to think it's going to be quite the day. So I didn't intentionally bring a red pen and paper to kind of scare you, but it just worked out that way for me. Um, so I'll move the pen, and I probably won't pick it up, but about 100 times. So I'm a little nervous this morning because this is not my typical thing to do. The Lord has been dealing with me over the last couple of years, and, and, and I've been praying to the Lord to lead me in the direction that he would have me to go and to help lead our church in the direction that he would have our church to go. And I really feel that he is leading us to really concentrate on discipleship and, and Sunday school and, and sharing the love of Jesus with people so we can go out and share that with others. And so, so that's kind of where I'm coming from this morning. Now, this is the third time through, and I am probably going to add and subtract things to it because I can't remember what I said the first two times I was saying it. So um, I don't know if you've ever had to do that before, but you, you add things and you subtract things. Um, several weeks ago, I had a conversation with the pastor, and he made an observation that it took, that just made sense. I'd never thought about it this way. He told me that, that I see things in pictures. I've never really thought about it that way before. I, I, you know, I I do things, but I never realized that I just see things in pictures. And after he made that statement, I really got to thinking about that, and I do see things in pictures. Um, no matter what it is, it may be something that I'm doing at work, maybe some chemistry problem or chemistry concept I'm trying to explain, but I see a picture. I've also come to realize that most of the music I listen to, I see it in pictures. Um, there's good pictures and there's bad pictures and you know over my lifetime I've listened to several different types of music. But one of the reasons is I, I don't really, I'm not really able to hear, hear all the notes. I, I, my hearing's not that good so I miss a lot of notes whenever there's music playing. But I can hear the words and I can put the words into a picture. 
So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to open up what I'm going to share with you with some lyrics to a song. And then I'm going to close with some lyrics to a different song. I've been praying that the Lord would lead me in the direction that he would have me to go. And I really know that he's, he's got a plan and he's leading me in that direction. So what I did was I looked for some songs that speak to leaders, to being led. And the first one that I came across that I listened to is the song Lead Me by Sanctus Real. And I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but I'm going to read you some verses, and then we're going to progress from those verses on. As I read these verses, I want you to picture in your mind the things that they remind you of. I look around and see my wonderful life, almost perfect from the outside. In picture frames, I see my beautiful wife, always smiling, but on the inside, I can hear her saying, Lead me with strong hands. Stand up when I can't. Don't leave me hungry for love. Chasing dreams, what about us? Show me you're willing to fight that I'm still the love of your life. I know we call this our home, but I still feel alone. I see their faces, look in their innocent eyes. They're just children from the outside. I'm working hard, I tell myself. They'll be fine. They're independent, but on the inside I can hear them saying, Lead me with strong hands. Stand up when I can't. Don't leave me hungry for love. Chasing dreams. What about us? In our lives, we tend to think when we lead, we do things for our families, for our friends, maybe for our church. We stay busy. We tend to, tend to take a lot of time to be busy, to be doing things to earn a living to provide things for our families when really what God is calling us to do is to provide a way for them to have that relationship with him, not for us to just provide things. So I really feel that our church in terms of Sunday school and discipleship should be providing for our families so we could be providing that relationship for our children. If we don't provide it, the school's not going to provide it. The government's not going to provide it. No one else is going to step up and provide it. We've got to do that. So, so that's what I want to speak to you about this morning. And you're going to think it's really odd, the direction that I'm going about to do it. But I hope it all ties together in the end. So let's start off with a little bit about the origins of Sunday school. Now... We all know a little bit about Sunday school. I was not raised in church. I did not go to Sunday school after I got to be old enough to do other stuff. Um, there was a lot of things that I did outside of church. I didn't really go to church. I really did not go to church until I got married. I did not go to church much after I got married for five or six years. Um, there was always something better to do, something I had to do, some 
job I had to do, some obligation that I needed to be in. And I really didn't see the point in that. I'm having to spend my whole Sunday, Wednesday, at church, whether it be in Sunday school or just in a church service. As, as you get older and you have that relationship with Christ and he calls you closer and closer, you see the need for that time to spend with him. And those things and those obligations, you have to make a choice. You have to choose, are you going to choose the obligations or are you going to choose Christ? And that choice is dependent on your relationship with him. So looking at, at Sunday school, since I didn't go, I didn't think I missed much. Okay, but I will tell you that preparing for Sunday school is a lot different than preparing to teach in college. I went to college six years studying nothing but chemistry. I can explain a lot of chemistry to you without ever opening a book, without ever having to worry about anything. And I know my explanation is going to be pretty close to being correct. But if, when I teach Sunday school, I really have to prepare because I'm not just preparing for myself. I'm preparing to share something that's life-changing, life-altering, life or death with someone else. So I have to be motivated to do that. And the only motivation I can have to do that, the way that God wants me to do it, is to have a relationship with His Son. So, Sunday school. Sunday school, what we know as Sunday school, began approximately in the year 1780 in Gloucester, England. A man by the name of Robert Riggs observed that there were all these children that were working in the factories during the Industrial Revolution. They went to work six days a week, and they typically worked 12-hour days. And then after that, they were tired, and they went home, if they had a home to go to, and they found something to eat and somewhere to sleep so they could get up and do it the next morning. The only day that they had that they didn't work was Sunday. And he was burdened that he needed to do something for these children. So on Sunday, he began offering what he called Sunday school. And his plan and his purpose was to teach these children how to read. Because there was no school at that time. They didn't know how to read. They didn't know how to write. They didn't know how to do any math or, or ciphering, if you want to call it that. So he provided a way to teach these children to read. And he chose the Bible as the book to teach these children to read. Over a period of about 21 years to 1811, the number of children attending Sunday school in England to read the Bible and to learn about the Bible went from zero to about 400,000 children. Moving forward from then, Sunday school went along. The Southern Baptist Association, Southern Baptist Conference picked it up. And in the 1940s and 1950s, the predominant denomination that had Sunday school was a Southern Baptist Convention. In 1945, there were 
257,000 baptisms attributed to attendance in Sunday school. Ten years later, it had almost doubled to nearly 500,000 children were baptized because they had come to a relationship with Christ due to Sunday school. From then until now, that number has declined steadily. What happened? What happened? Well, the biggest thing that happened was there was a major shift within our denomination from transformed lives to church growth. We began to forget about the fact that the relationship was what was important. We began to concentrate on numbers. We wanted to get numbers. We became a program. We left out the relationship. We became a program. We changed from being focused on our children to focused on some consumers. So we had those three major changes. And it's really affected our church. It's really affected Sunday school. It's really affected the number of people that have a relationship with Christ. So what do we need to do? What do we need to do? Well, we need to return our focus to that relationship. We need to return our Sunday school focus to that relationship, whether it be an adult class or children's class. We need to return that focus so that we can reach people and share the good news of Jesus. Because people need to hear that. There are people everywhere that need to hear that. And if we keep it bottled up to ourselves, they're never going to hear it. And the easiest place to share it is in Sunday school. And you're probably thinking, like me, well, I can come to church and I can hear all the Jesus I want to hear. But I'll be honest with you. I teach college. I went to college. I come to church. I'm pretty good at sitting in the chair and staring forward like I'm paying attention and thinking in pictures. Okay? And probably not really about the sermon. Why the difference? Because when you're in Sunday school, you have that personal relationship with someone. You can share what's going on, and they can share with you what's going on in their life. And the two of you, or three of you, or 20 of you, have that intimate relationship where you can support each other. You can pray for each other. In church, we're just looking at the back of each other's heads and seeing who's nodding to the left and who's nodding to the right sometimes. So Sunday school is very important. So today I'm going to speak to you from text coming from Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 is an account of the disciples of Christ. It starts in the first verses where Christ called his original 12 disciples and it builds up to the last five verses, which is our text for today, Luke chapter 9, 57 through 62. At this point, Jesus was traveling to Samaria. He was going to go minister to the Samarians. And what was interesting about that, the Samarians didn't want him to come. But he, he wanted to go share the good news with the Samarians. So he was traveling down to the seashore in Capernaum to get a boat to travel to Samaria to minister to the Samarians. And he came across three men. And each of these three men can show up in my life. 
And what I want to ask you is, do they show up in your life? And I have struggled all week for a title for what I want to share with you. And just a few minutes ago, I was playing pictures in my mind. Sometimes I'm a little slow, okay? And I came up with a title. Of course, two sermons too late, but I came up with a title. Are you one of the peas in the pod? Okay? I grow a lot of soybeans. Of course, this year hasn't been a good soybean year. It was beautiful until the storm came through, but after that it's been kind of not so pretty. But if you look at a soybean, it's a bean. It's, a, it's in the pea family. It's a lagoon. Okay? Typically, a soybean in the southern part of the United States, Mississippi, has three or four beans in a pod. And, you know, you have several hundred pods to a plant. Well, I got to thinking about that just a few minutes ago. Most of my beans had three beans in that pod. So Jesus came into contact with three men on his way to the seashore. And I've described each of those three men by a word that begins with the letter P. And they all describe me and the way I approach things that is opposite of what God has called me to do. So my question to you is, are you one of the P's in the pod? Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. <clears throat> and it came to pass that as they went in, when in the way a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithsoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at my home, at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand unto the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So we've got three men that Jesus encountered. And they each have a, a name that begins with the letter P. The first man, which we find in Luke 9.57. I'm going to refer to him as the promise breaker. Have you ever broken a promise? Whether it's intentional or not, you promised to be somewhere. I mean, you're trying really hard, and the highway patrol pulls you over, and you're stuck there till he gets through with you. You broke a promise. The first man that Jesus came into contact with in Luke 9:57. He offered to follow Jesus. Jesus didn't ask him. He offered to follow Jesus. And yet, he didn't. I envision this man as a man that has buyer's remorse. He went down to the local car dealership and he picked him out a brand new car. I mean, it was shiny. It had a lot of chrome. It was pretty. He went in and talked to the salesperson filled out the paperwork, signed the note, went home, had supper, went to bed, and got to bed and thought, I cannot pay this car note. 
what am I going to do? So early the next morning, he was back at the car dealership trying to get his trade-in back and return the car because he just didn't want that life. He didn't want to have to worry about that car now. Are you a promise breaker when it comes to the Lord? Do you promise the Lord to do something? And then when it comes time to do it, time to deliver on it, did you decide, oh, I was too rash? I, I really didn't consider everything that was going to cost me. Am I unable to meet that commitment because I've got other commitments? Do we do that with Sunday school? Do we that, do that with discipleship in general? Do we say we're going to be in Sunday school or say we're going to be a teacher? And then, oh, the fish are biting today. The, you know, the almanac said they were going to bite really good about 9.45. Do we go fishing? Do we try to plan our vacations so we only hit the Sundays and the Saturdays and we don't have to waste a day of work? Okay, so we all break promises. So we don't necessarily want to be that first man that volunteered to follow the Lord who broke his promise. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That comes from Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 20. We can also look at it in this way. Many times if you're a teacher, students come to you and make promises with no intention of keeping those promises. They just intentionally make that promise. I'll turn my homework in tomorrow if you'll just give me that extra day. They aren't going to turn They had no intention of turning it in tomorrow. So they either broke the promise unintentionally or they broke the promise intentionally. So we fall into that, that category. I do that. I promise to do things and then I find something better. I weigh my options and see if I make a bunch of promises, which is, which is the better for me. And God did not call us to do that. He called us to have that relationship with Jesus. Jesus paid a price for us to be what he wants us to be, not for us to be what we want us to be. The second man that came along, and there was a difference between the first man and the second man. The first man offered to follow Jesus. The second man Jesus called. In Luke 9, 59 it says, And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. I want to describe the second man as the procrastinator. Have you ever been a procrastinator? You know, the post office is open in some areas to 11.59 p.m. on April the 15th. No other day of the year are they open to 11.59 p.m. Why is that the case? Because your taxes are due to be postmarked by April the 15th. And people procrastinate enough that what do they do? They're looking for a post office at 11.59 p.m. so that they can get it postmarked so that they can get their taxes sent in. So we're all guilty of procrastination in our life. What about in our church life? This man that was described in Luke 59, 9.59, 
It's not stated whether his father had just died, his father was sick, or even his father was old enough to be approaching death. He wanted to wait. In our church service, in my church service, there are times that I want to wait until it's convenient for me, until I can afford the cost. Typically in the time that Jesus was speaking about here, and that Luke is writing about, when a man died, his children received an inheritance, especially his sons. So here we've got this son, the second man, the procrastinator. He's waiting to serve Jesus until he's got an inheritance. He's waiting until he can afford to do it. He could wait and wait and wait. And if he waited on himself, he may never be able to afford to do it. There's a car that's sometimes out in the parking lot that has a bumper sticker on it. I don't know if you've seen it, but the bumper sticker says, many will wait until the last hour to call upon Jesus, and they die at 11.30. So if they're going to wait till 11.59 to call on Jesus, they pass away before it ever gets here. Do we want to procrastinate that much in our life, in our relationship with Christ? Do we want to procrastinate that much in our relationship with Jesus? Do we want to procrastinate that much in our Sunday school? We've got these, we, we do that, I do that. I mean, there are some Sundays that I procrastinate to as long as possible to study what I've got to try to teach the next day. And my lesson really fails miserably when I do that. And I, after the fact, really get thinking, Lord, I'm, I'm responsible there for someone else's relationship because I didn't do what you called me to do. So we've got our promise breaker, our procrastinator, and I think everybody else's favorite here, since we just had an election, is the pundit, the third man we come across in Luke 9, 61. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. The pundit, he goes and seeks everybody else's opinion on what he should do before he does anything. Think about the election. All we got were opinions, ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, CNN, HN, whatever we want to come up with. We all had all of these different opinions on what we should do or how we should do it. Do we not do the same thing here? Do we not do the same thing in church? We, we look for opinions before we look to Jesus. This is a really weird thing for a guy to say, but the first thing I do in the morning, before I get out of bed, just about every morning, before I read my Bible verses, is I grab my phone and I click on AL.com and I read the advice columns. I don't need the advice. I just like to read the advice columns. You know, and Landers, just to see what everybody's sent in, to see what kind of advice they're asking. For the past, I don't know how many years, they've been asking the same advice for the same situations. It's just in a different set of words. And I really think maybe I'm going to learn something earth-shattering by reading that because somebody took the time to write it out, put it in an envelope, and send it in the mail to get an answer. 
but I never get an answer that's earth-shattering. All I get is an opinion. Just like, uh, so one of the three Ps, the pundit, he's just looking for an opinion. As a child or as an adult or anybody that plows with anything, whether it be a horse or a tractor or whatever, if you take your eyes off of the direction you're going and you look back, you tend to put a curve in whatever you're doing, whether it be plowing or planting. People make fun of my soybean roofs when I plant them next to the highway because I don't have the thing that drives my tractor. I have to drive it myself. So I'll pick me a spot at down to the other side, and if I ever take my eyes off to see who's texting me or see if the planter's working behind me, I end up with a road to the left or to the right depending on which way I looked. Then everybody that drives by, strength fella sure can't plant no straight rows. You get more seed in it if, it, if it's crooked than if it's straight. That's beside the point. Okay? So the pundit, whenever someone gives him his opinion, he swayed to the left or he swayed to the right. And God calls us to be on the straight and narrow. There is only a right and a wrong. There's a true and a false, not a maybe, not a possibly. He calls us in that direction. So, are you one of the three P's in that pod? I'm one of those P's. I'm all three of those P's in that pod at any given time. And I'm telling you that that's not right. That's not what the Lord is calling us to do. That's not the relationship he's calling us. Okay? And those first song lyrics I read to you called Lead Me. That's really asking you just to lead your family and make some some good choices. But there are better song lyrics to lead you in the direction you should go, which will help you make those choices should you follow this, these words. Now here are the lyrics to another song with a similar title. And this song is Lead Me to the Cross. Savior, I come. Quiet my soul. Remember redemption's heal where your blood was spilled. For my ransom, everything I once held dear, I counted all as loss. Lead me to the cross where your love poured out. Bring me to my knees. Lord, I lay me down. Rid me of myself. I belong to you. Lead me, lead me to the cross. You were as I, tempted in trial. Human, the world became flesh. Bore my sin and death, now you're risen. Everything I once held dear, I counted all as loss. Lead me to the cross, where your love poured out. Bring me to my knees. Lord, I lay me down. Rid me of myself. I belong to you. Lead me to the cross. So if we really truly want to have that relationship with Jesus, we want him to lead us to the cross, not just lead us where we want to go. Bow with me.